as I'll ever be. Exactly. Uh, good afternoon. No, good morning. Gosh. <laughs> you are listening to uh, Jill Kirby from Victoria and Maureen Reed from <laughs> Powell River, who are retaping the episode number 70 because it was a complete gong show yesterday on the radio. Um, it does not bear listening to ever again. <laughs> and so. <laughs> This is being taped the day after, so it is now the 21st of February, but the contents of this show will be better, actually, because having done the gong show that was yesterday, I realized that the format I had chosen was really not going to work well. So this is lesson three of the, so you want to read your own chart, thank you very much, and not have an intermediary. Uh, which was interesting because I saw a um, podcast with uh, from a, uh, that Chris Brennan did with a card reader, right? And so they were talking at the beginning of that show with, you know, um, why there has been such an uptick in um, all forms of divination and the number of people wanting to learn how to do it. And she very blithely said, well, yeah, we don't, you know, why go through an intermediary if you can learn to read whatever divinatory tool you're using yourself, right? Makes well, sense. I've always felt that way about channeling. So yeah. why, why would I go to somebody else and assume they're channeling something for me? If it's for me, I should be able to directly get the message, right? Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. Why would I trust somebody I don't know to yeah. know something that's yeah. for me, right? Yeah. yeah. So it is in that vein that I've come up with this whole, you know, how to read your own chart thing. Um, and as we get further into this, you may discover that, oh my God, when does it ever stop? And yeah. so here's just a little, um, how could I put this? Um, uh, okay, a warning. Yes. Okay. So yesterday was this gong show. And so, uh, and I knew that Mercury was retrograde and stationing. So it was about to turn direct, uh, which it is now direct. So in theory, what we're doing today will go off without a hitch. That's the theory. <laughs> anyway, so I thought, well, I'm going to just look at my own chart and see what the heck was going on. And so one of the things that you can do with a chart is called midpoints oh. and um lots of the professional astrology programs will print out the entire sheet you know of however many there are it's not quite 360 degrees but you there's a lot of midpoints right actually well, like each pair of planets exactly them. and and with your angles as well Yes, exactly. So uh, Mercury was stationing at, uh, and it's still at 11 degrees of Aquarius. So I thought, okay, do I have anything at 11 degrees of Aquarius? And sure enough, <laughs> I have a midpoint. And guess what midpoint? Mercury ascended. <laughs> so could Jill hear my voice? No, <laughs> she couldn't. <laughs> Well, and my son happens to be at 12 degrees Aquarius. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty much on my son as well. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and there's nothing, you know, you could do about these things. 
and you wouldn't normally you can laugh you can laugh laugh. exactly because you're not going to spend your life you know looking at every midpoint when the moon comes around and triggers it or you know you just don't uh but well well, and mercury retrograde is a time to remember to laugh well exactly exactly is mercury as the trickster really it's yes yeah it doesn't tend to bring up massive disasters but the glitches can be frustrating frustrating like what can you do what can you do exactly smile correctly okay so anyway that was yesterday so today we are going to look at putting uh, a specific sign on the ascendant which is in the previous first lesson i talked about the fact that the signs always go in a specific order and they go in a spe- that same order around the outside of a wheel Um, because that's the typical format that astrologers will look at your chart. But you don't have to use that in the beginning. You can just do a page for, okay, I have in your particular chart a particular sign that's rising. And so that will be the rising sign is the first house. And then, but you follow in exactly the, the same order from that rising sign. And so to facilitate this for the person who doesn't have their own chart yet i have on my resource page on my website which is www.cardinalastrology.ca um i have uh two sites clickable that you can go to that will give you you just put in your data and they will produce a chart for you or you can contact jill or myself and we can also send you a copy of your chart okay and so from that the first piece of information that is i suggest that you take is to make this combination start which is your ascendant sign and then um the first house so we have and i can share a screen and i'm just realizing that i probably didn't set this up no i didn't so i am going to set it up first which would be helpful Fortunately, <laughs> we're not on the radio so the fact that i'm um doing this is not as bad because we're not live on air yay <laughs> Okay, so Jill and I picked, um, we did uh, examples, and we're each going to talk about our own example, and um, so I will start the ball rolling with my example, just to give you an idea of what it looks like when you first start off with this pairing. So here we are on my website. As you can see up here, this is the astrological resource page, which will give you a link to getting your own chart put up. Okay, so the first chart that we're going to look at, this is a, um, this is your chart, actually, isn't it? Toronto. Yes. Okay, we'll start with Jill. So this is one version of what you might get from those sites. And so what we're going to start with this is in whole sign. We're going to switch down yeah. here and look at. Okay, so this is. That looks more like it. <laughs> yeah, this is the Placidus. So there's the word P L A C I D U S. 
and this is someone she knows very young obviously how old um he's he just turned 14. he just turned 14. oh <laughs> okay so and then that's mine but that's okay we'll come back to it because the first one we have okay so here we go here we go and um let's see now don't know if we show up i'm going to put us over there okay so jill take it away well um yeah we have libra on the first house as well as on the 12th house um again this is uh when you aren't working in whole signs you have different divisions with whole signs it's just whole signs exactly uh, but exactly. with, yeah. with the different house systems, and Placidus is one of many. Um, it's the one I use and have used for years. But I have experimented with others, and they give you just a slightly different look at the chart. They'll give you the same ascendant, descendant, and the same mm -hmm. midheaven, I see. But um, the intermediary houses will be slightly different sometimes quite different and it'll just shift the planet sometimes so you know there's no right or wrong you can find a house system that you like and go with that it's, and and that speaks to you when we say you like uh, it it's the way it parses out the information you know makes sense to you and that's yeah, the way yeah, yeah you end and, up making that decision yeah. yeah and you know if you've done astrology for many years as we have then you know you can see you can look at different house systems and see how that one kind of makes sense too but it gives a different slightly different angle on things you know yeah. we're not cardboard cutouts we have all sorts of different facets to us so it brings out slightly different facets to the individual that's how i see it so in uh in this young man's chart we've got uh like i say you've got libra rising uh 28 degrees i believe it is um so right near the end of, the, of libra is on the ascendant if he'd been born you know an hour or so later he'd had scorpio rising because yeah and um, I think after you've gone through this one, I'll pull up um, Solar Fire actually and demo for people what that looks like. Because during the course of a 24 hour day, um, depending on where in that day you were born, all 12 signs will be on the ascendant. Yes. And, and there are signs that take longer to come up over the ascendant yeah. than others. They're called signs of long ascension so libra happens to be one of the ones that takes longer than some of the others some of the others go through more quickly so it's as with anything in nature it's not you know divided up into you know 30 degrees yes nice nature, neat little nature, yeah it doesn't work that way we like things that way but nature likes things to flow in a different way yes. so yeah we have um as i say libra rising which in this case also gives Libra in the 12th house. You've got two houses ruled by the same planetary ruler, basically. Yes, yeah. And um, and part two of today's lesson, we'll talk about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then um, following that, of course, after the first house, you come to the second, and there you have Scorpio on the second. You have 
Sagittarius on the third. And, and then in the third house, you'll see that Capricorn is totally enclosed in there. You don't have Capricorn on the cusp. On yeah. starting. And the orange lines, that's what she's referring to. The orange lines are called cusp lines. Yeah, so they're the dividing lines between the houses as opposed to between the signs. Yeah, which in this example here, I use dotted lines for the signs. Mm -hmm. So you see that Capricorn, and of course, because Capricorn is opposite Cancer, if you look across the, the chart, you'll see Cancer is fully enclosed in the, in the opposite house. Yeah. And that's, that's called an intercepted sign. So it's not appearing on the cusp of a house, but you still have full 30 degrees of Capricorn in there. Mm -hmm. So, and this yep. is just, you know, partly dependent on where, what latitude you're born at. Yes, exactly. That's that tilting of the earth in relationship to the sun and the time of year. And yeah. Yeah. So that's what changes things with uh, this, these house systems. So then we come to the fourth house and we've got Aquarius on the fourth house cusp. And that puts Leo in the opposite end at the 10th house. So that's our MCIC dividing line. So you can see that, you know, it's not like the midheaven is directly overhead in this chart. It's kind of angled off a little bit. And again, that's the tilt of the earth time of year, blah, blah, blah. So, <laughs> It's all. not blah, blah, blah to these newbies, dear, but anyway. <laughs> I just didn't want to repeat myself again, <laughs> what I just said. But yeah, so that's that's your fourth house. You have Aquarius on there. And then Pisces shows up on the fifth house. And then the sixth is Aries. And like Libra, you've got Aries on two sign, two houses. Same sign on two houses, you've got Aries on the sixth house as well as the seventh. Um, and, and yeah, we've, we've talked about the houses and what they mean. You know, the first house is kind of the outer personality. The second house is our resources, our possessions, and mine, mine, mine. Um, third, house, third house is uh, is sort of our everyday communication, our neighborhood, our Siblings. More, yeah, siblings are closer environment. Um, it's this personal part of the chart. It's under the ascend, under the ascend, and it's, um, you know, in the underneath part of the chart. And then, of course, the fourth house cusp is our, our roots. It's our foundations. So um, it's about family and where we come from, and often some heredity and that sort of thing. Fifth house is our... It's a playhouse. It's where we have fun, what we like for entertainment, what we, you know, enjoy. Mm -hmm. The sixth house is more about house, you know, it's more about getting down to business and working, mm -hmm. taking care of things that need taking care of. And yep. Routines. <laughs> not, as much, and not as much fun as the fifth. It's sort of going from fun to, no, let's get serious. But, <laughs> um, but you know, it's it's also our service to ourselves and others and yeah and looking after our bodies that's where yeah. health comes in. seventh house of course opposite to the first is our is our relationship with immediate others right across from us like one-on-one yeah. -on -one. Yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> there's me on the, on the first house, there's you over there. You know, so it's a partnership. It's a, whether you like that person or not, it can be friendly or not, but it's... <laughs> yes, it is the partnership. Yeah. It is uh, known as the house of open enemies. So you don't, there's no, they're not hidden. You know who they are. Yeah. <laughs> they're right there. <laughs> In your life and it's life. it's it's that dichotomy of um and so because it's it's we're now above the horizon yeah <clears throat> and so we have to meet the world that's out there yeah and and we're yeah. we're on the other's side of the chart which starts at the fourth house cusp we're moving into awareness of of others in a, yeah. a growing scale from family out to now we're you know oh let's have a relationship you know, yes. you know, it's the biology does kick in. Yeah, it's generally, <laughs> generally thought of as the marriage house, but it's also business partnerships. Yep. You know, some yep. people never get married, but they could have business partnerships or yep. very close one-on-one -on -one relationships with other people that are significant. Mm -hmm. um, so we have Aries on the cusp of the seventh. The eighth house is uh, always a little more complex to talk about it. So yeah. we have Taurus. Yeah on the eighth house in this chart. Um, and the eighth house is, is, well, it's opposite the second house, which is my resources. Eighth house is where I'm sharing resources with others. Yes. It's, yeah. You know, I'm sharing with a partner. It's where I share that kind of thing, but it's- Or it's with a bank. Or with, yeah, or with the government. It's, <laughs> yes. it's the house of sex, death, and taxes. You know, it's- Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Inevitables as well as death, really. That's, yeah. You know, it is, um, which is not, you know, oh my goodness, you can look there and see, you know, when you're going to die or how you're going to die. Some yeah. people talk about doing that, and I don't think that's useful. No, uh, no. I think you can. Actually, you know, the ancients, they look to personal death. They look to the fourth house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, there's arguments for, for that as well. Um, yeah. Alpha and Omega and all that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's got that reputation but it, mm -hmm. you know part of that is you know again when you die there's going to be death taxes and stuff like that yes exactly <laughs> the inevitables of life yes <laughs> yeah so the eighth house is a it's an interesting house it's deep and dark and somewhat yep. mysteri mysterious i think yep. uh, for a lot of us uh the ninth house where we've got gemini on the ninth in this chart yep. Ninth house is our, and we have cancer intercepted in there. So the whole yeah. cancer is enclosed in that ninth house. So the ninth house is really about our, our, our higher learning, our, our bigger perspective on life, our philosophy, <clears throat> our beliefs, yep. you know, this is, you know, where we, you know, we often take our beliefs from family and, and, you know, education that we've had, yep. uh, if we've been raised with a religious education, there'll be a, that will often show up in the ninth house as, um, as affecting how you see the world. Mm -hmm. um, but also it's long distance travel. Third house is more kind of hanging in my neighborhood. The ninth house is where I want to go see the world and explore and uh, expand my horizons really. So, we're, you know, again, we're above the horizon and we're, <clears throat> We're dealing with um, others and, you know, by meeting others, especially from other countries and other 
belief systems, we do expand our horizons. You know, that's exactly. how. Yep. That's how we learn. We learn from people who are different from ourselves, not from those who are the same. You yep. know, we can be in our little echo chamber or we can be out there learning from, you know, just everybody we meet, you know. There's opportunities yep. for growth and learning everywhere and in every person we meet. And that's part of being out in the world. Mm-hmm. That's our ninth house. Um, tenth house, we've got Leo, as I mentioned, opposite Aquarius on the fourth. Uh, tenth house is uh, career and life direction. It's where, you know, where we've got our roots in the fourth house. The tenth is like the, the branches of the tree. How high can they reach? You know, how yeah, deep do you yeah. go, and how high can your branches reach? Where do you want to? What do you want to do in the world? Yes. You know, what do what you kind like? of? Um, yeah. How do you want to be known? Seen. Yeah. How you want to be yeah. known? Yeah. How you want to be known? <clears throat> like, the sixth house can be your work. Yeah. Can, yeah. Like, you know, doing a job, waiting tables or or secretarial work. There's nothing wrong with any of that. That's and you might be quite happy with that as all you ever earn. You know, you yep. don't need to be known. You don't need a reputation. You don't need accolades. <laughs> but if you do, and with Leo on the on the tenth, sometimes you, you might want some. Yeah. Um, yeah recognition uh because the the tenth is more about acknowledgement of you know what you've achieved but leo leo likes to be kind of center of attention so uh it can it can i mean not all leos do no no definitely not but yeah yeah. leos who are not out there um and um but Tenth house uh, is, is where, yeah. where we tend to want to be more out there and to to um, make our mark on the world, or or it's how we want to be known. You know, if yeah. I, you know, you get a lot of people who are aspiring actors. Well, they might be waiting tables down the sixth house, but in their mind, they're a famous actor. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 And they're just waiting for the world to recognize them. <laughs> tenth house. Yes. Yeah, that would be the tenth house. So the 11th house then is our, which follows the 10th. And again, we're back on the self side of the, of the chart here, right? Yeah. As, as opposed yeah. to others. So this is more about, like I say, the 10th is about what do I want to accomplish? You know, mm-hmm. I might do it with others. I might, you know, others it might, might be solitary or it could be, yeah, no, exactly. Supported by others, but, um, but it, it's more about, I'm back about me here and and what I want to know be known for. Uh, the eleventh house is is friends and groups and organizations that actually kind of support okay. often support that tenth house. You know, yeah, it can be the audience, like literally the yeah, audience. Yeah, the audience, or it can be <clears throat> you know we can you know join a guild or a group or something that supports the kind of career that we do so you know there's various and it can be just friends you know friends are very important for some people you know friends are more family than family so the 11th house will show up then is a very important house for those people usually um with the sign and whatever planets and rulers and whatnot so then uh and that's virgo on the 11th house in this particular chart and then with the 12th, we're back to, as I said before, Libra being on the 12th as well as the first. 
So mm-hmm. the 12th, like, like the 8th, the 12th is a sort of mysterious kind of house. It's, yes. you know, it's the, like, say, we start with the alpha of the first house, here I am. Yeah. And the, at the 12th house, we're kind of coming full circle yeah. to returning to source in a way. And so it's a, it's a house where, you know, often whatever's in there is, is it's kind of, we, First of all, we can't see it because it's behind the ascendant. Yes. So it's yeah. it's it's the the old astrologers called it the house of self undoing. Yeah. Because if you have planets in there, you're not seeing them. You're not aware of how you express them. Other people maybe, and yes. often yeah. are, but you're not. And so it's kind of like tripping over. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Oops. Um, because yeah. I don't. I'm, I'm not aware, and so. Part of the twelfth house is becoming more aware. You can, you can, yeah. and one work of the, with that. One of the benefits I think of astrology is is helping to become more aware of those aspects of self that you're not aware of, such as exactly. what might yeah. be in the twelfth house and how it can be beneficial to you, rather than you know, kind of tripping over it. You could <laughs> actually be incorporating it more into a useful purpose in your in how you operate. So yeah, it's, but it's a more complex house as the eighth house and fourth house are. They tend to be slightly more complex houses, I think, than mm-hmm. the others. So that's... That's example number one. Yes. Number okay, one. so now what I'll do is I am going to talk about example number two. And in this chart, and unfortunately, I don't know how to get rid of this piece of my screen, which is a bit frustrating. But anyway, um, okay, so this is a young lady. She's a, quite a bit younger. Um, and she was born not in Toronto, but over actually in Cumberland. I was actually there a few minutes after she was born. So this is a friend of mine's granddaughter. Um, and she has Capricorn rising. So in terms of when you're working with your own chart, just remember that no matter who starts with the first house, the signs always go in the same order. Okay, so for her, it's Capricorn first. And this particular house system, as Joe was saying, um, the house itself encompasses a specific sign so they're in the whole sign system there's never intercepted houses or intercepted signs pardon me and they do follow in any of the house systems though the natural order that the signs do go in and so i'll just go through this quickly and then i'll go back and talk a little bit about the difference between the hellenistic um, house system and the modern one which jill did a recap perfect of the modern um, emphasis that are placed on the houses. Um, okay, so we have Capricorn first, Aquarius second, Pisces third, Aries fourth, Taurus fifth, Gemini sixth, Cancer seven, Leo eighth, ninth, Virgo, 10th Libra, Scorpio the 11th, and Sagittarius on the 12th. And that's just that natural wheel. Now, in Hellenistic times, um, they rated the houses in um, a more 
deterministic fashion. So there were good houses and they were definitely bad houses. And um, so, and it was of the vein of good fortune and bad fortune. And so they're also, their philosophy back then was more of a stoic version, which was in getting to know your chart, you knew what it was you were going to have to be satisfied with, I guess might be one way of putting it, <laughs> you know, so that if your chart had a lot of emphasis on the difficult houses, then, um, you know, your lot in life was to manage that, to make the best of it in a stoic point of view. It's, so it's, it's a little like Vedic astrology in that sense. In that sense, exactly, exactly. But, and yeah, there yeah, are, yeah. as I as I explored Hellenistic astrology, there is a crossover point between Vedic and Hellenistic yeah. 2000 years ago yeah. where, and it, depending on which camp you fall in, um, there are some Hellenistic astrologers that say a great deal of the Vedic sensibility came out of Hellenistic. And of course, then of course the Vedic say, no, 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 it goes the other way. And anyway, yeah. there's, yeah, there's controversy there. So, so in, in Hellenistic, do they have, like in, in Vedic, they sort of have ways to appease those different? Um, no. No, oh. because their sensibility was stoic, which was oh, sucks true. to be you. Yeah. Um, do the best you can. <laughs> yeah, they didn't do the the appeasement thing. But okay. there are ways with and we will get to this in part two of this lesson when it comes to the rulerships, which yeah. can really what's called mitigate. Yeah. yeah. But it's yeah. different than in see in Vedic you would that you would actually perform rituals to um, yeah, make a bad so. placement. Yeah. So not yeah. or, or where Hellenistics didn't go that far. Or they'd wear specific gems or yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So in the Vedic model, the first house, same, but it was called the steersman. And so it was considered more authentically the person than in modern times, you know, everybody says, oh, well, I'm a, blank fill in the blank and that was where the sun was in hellenistic where the sun was may or may not be important to yeah. you personally the sun could just very easily be other people in your life right okay but the first house was definitely you uh second house same possessions um and and it was considered of the difficult houses the least difficult house okay uh, but it was not considered necessarily a good house, although obviously because it's possessions and your ability to sustain yourself, you know, you when you first look at your own chart, you, you, you're you hoping that the second house isn't too bad because <laughs> it is resources, right? <laughs> okay, third house was considered the queen or female. It was also about your neighborhood and your siblings and also extended family. Um, and whether or not how they, you know, how they were going to play out in your life. Fourth house, um, same roots, hereditary, all of that. And again, a good house. Fifth house of the good houses. This is the second best good house. 
Okay, mm -hmm. so you want you want to have a really happy fifth house in a Hellenistic point of view, um, and it is the good fortune of children. Of course, two thousand years ago, children were you know a highly rated commodity to have <laughs> to pass on your legacy and your dynasty and all the rest of that. Um, okay, sixth house was the first of the difficult houses, and in Hellenistic, it was aversion. So their model of developing the aspects and the houses also had to do with line of sight. And in their way of looking at it, the ascendant can't see the sixth house. So therefore that's what makes it a difficult house. The same with the second house is not seen yeah. by the first or the 12th is not seen by the first. And so with the sixth house, this is slaves, the disposition of your slaves, <laughs> you know, your health. It was also the health uh, house. Um, and so, again, you would want your sixth house to not be badly um, being taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. Seventh house, uh, back to good houses. You know, this was open enemies to them as well. Um, but it was the partner. And so, but it very, it wouldn't necessarily say anything about the native themselves, but it was about those partnerships and those people. Okay. Just in the general sense of it. Um, eighth house was the second worst house, not a happy house at all. Death taxes, all of those things stayed the same. Um, with more emphasis on death. So for instance, um, you can very easily see in the Hellenistic model, you know, like a family like the Kennedys, where um, in chart after chart from a Hellenistic point of view, um, the third house was afflicted, lots of siblings died. <laughs> that is one hell of a family, you know, but Hellenistic, it really makes sense. So eighth house, difficult house, no question. Uh, ninth house, this is the queen the or the king. The third house was the queen um, and considered a good house. Uh, again, follows with the same other types of modern interpretations in terms of higher education, travel, philosophy, belief systems, all of that stuff. Tenth house, again, another good house. Um, and two, with the recognition and... Um, you know, wanting to have a position out there in the world that's seen. 11th house, bestest house in the chart. Okay, so you want a really happy 11th house. And so they take the idea that we use, you know, that, that has been derived into what's modern now, but they looked at it as if you needed a benefactor, if you needed uh, really great connections, um, this is the house that you looked for, right? This is good fortune, best fortune ever. And so obviously, um, you know, planets here, it's when you look at, for instance, somebody like Donald Trump's chart, you go, oh, for God's sakes, no wonder. He's, he's a full mooner spanning the 5th to the 11th, right? And it's an eclipse. And, you know, so, so obviously the 11th house in good fortune has nothing to do with morals. Or whether you're a nice person or not a nice person. He's also got the royal star Regulus on his ascendant. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, um, 
astrology is neutral when it comes to, you know, um, uh, the God or devil. It really is neutral. Um, you know, so you can have a dazzling chart and still be an asshole. No, I mean, bad person. I think that's something important to realize. You cannot tell what type of person you're dealing yes. with unless you have a conversation with them. Exactly. Exactly. How and have they taken this the and worked with potential is there for good or for evil. Exactly. And you don't know which way they've gone. Exactly. You, know, you have a chart that's got that that's very similar between somebody who is a career criminal and somebody who uphold, you know, is yep. police officer doing his best to uphold the law or, you know, exactly that kind exactly. of thing. Yep. It's very much the same because they're working opposite ends of the same coin, basically. Exactly. Exactly. So our final house is the 12th house, the poopiest house in the chart. Okay. Um, and it does emphasize similar themes, but it just takes it, you know, that little bit darker. So it is <laughs> hidden enemies. It is self-undoing. It is also associated with death. Um, and so, you know, unfortunately, um, but it's not death of the person themselves. It's death of uh, other people in their life. Um, the fourth house was well, actually, they have a system. It's, I'm not even going to remember what it's called. Um, but they did have a technique, supposedly, for figuring out when, you know, the native was going to demise. And it, it was, it's more like um, uh, an Arabic part than yeah. a specific house. There is a yeah. part of the house as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so now that you've got a chart and you know what sign is associated with which house, um, this is like a, a flat stage. We now need to people the stage. And so part two of this is we're going to talk about rulers. And I'll just lead this off a little bit. Um, okay, so uh, what we have here is um the places okay so that's a hellenistic way of looking at the signs whereas modern times it'd be just called the signs um and the other name that they used for the planets was hosts so in their languaging um they would say that mars its home is where aries is and its other home is where scorpio is and so it has to speak to um, how happy any other planets that fall in its house, like how well it's going to take care of them. And so this begins to unravel uh, what's called the conditions, the dignities, the debilities, um, and how that particular house is actually going to manifest in a person's life. And again, from a Hellenistic point of view, this was all about, you know, your fortune. Was it good? Was it bad? Fate? Yeah. Um, and the people, it also um, talks way more about the people in your life. So for instance, in your chart from a Hellenistic point of view, you'd be able to see your parent very specifically, your siblings very specifically, whether or not extended family plays a part in your life, that type of stuff, uh, which 
most modern astrology doesn't really look at the chart from that point of view. It's more about you um, and how you're going to operate in the world. Yeah, it's, well, yeah. And it, it's also to me, um, you're looking at the person's perception of their yes. parent yeah. or their yeah. part or their exactly exactly so not the, the specific person as the chart is the is the person yeah um, so those yeah. those other people are how i mean i i can't know i mean i know you but i don't know you yes right yeah i, I yeah. know what i perceive of you yes and and, and yeah. so one will resonate with some people we won't with others who knows why well if you look at a chart you'll often see it energetically yes. why exactly but and but, so to to add a finer detail on what the hellenistic people were talking about it wasn't so much who that person was but what impact they had yeah. in the native's life yeah yeah and so and you know was your father a good um you know influencer was it gonna cause you you know harm okay so now my second graphic that we can see here we're um, we're adding the names of the planets with the signs that they're associated. And I've set the chart up so that the uh, original system for assigning planets to specific signs, um, this is sort of the rationale that was used back from the Hellenistic time. Um, but I've also included, and so in a moment here, I'll turn the floor over again to Jill so that she can make comments about how in modern times, we've replaced some of the rulerships from the Hellenistic time with the new kids on the block. That's just how I put it. And so in the Hellenistic model, we started with um, the sun and the moon as being the lights. And that was important for them because they made a distinction between a day chart and a night chart. And in that distinction, that um, changed how um, easy a planet would operate or how difficult a planet might be um, besides the sun and the moon. The sun and the moon themselves were basically um, uh, happier when they were in their particular sect. So for instance, um, the sun is easiest when it's in a day chart. The moon is easiest when it's in a night chart. Uh, Mercury always played a neutral role in their schemology. And so the order of these on the outside comes from their distance from the sun. So who's next in line from the sun? Well, that would be Mercury. So Mercury is on either side of the lights and is a neutral planet. Then we come to Venus, which is in terms of motion, it's the next one out. And it ruled two signs, so Taurus and Libra. And in the sect way of looking at things, Venus went with the moon. The moon and Venus are happy if they're both on the same side of the horizon. Um, and specifically, Venus becomes the planet benefic in a night chart. Okay, then we come to Mars, which again, in terms of the speed of the planets, it's the next one out. It also ruled two signs, Mars and Scorpio. 
and in a night chart, Mars was not quite so difficult. Mars is considered one of the malefics. Okay, so you have to work at managing Mars um, in either a, a day chart or a night chart, but it's easier to work with that Mars if you are a night chart. Okay, so it goes with the moon better. Uh, next up, we have Jupiter, which is one of the other benefics. So Venus and Jupiter are the benefics in the Hellenistic model. And it's the first benefic that goes with the day chart. So in a day chart, Jupiter can make things way better. It can help out the best. <laughs> um, okay, so and then we end up with the two Saturns at the top, which is the other malefic. And what's interesting is, and when I was first, you know, looking at this, taking away the other rulerships, Neptune, Uranus, and Pluto, it was how, this was where I had the, the biggest hurdle to um, accept in terms of the Hellenistic model, um, because I was quite comfortable with Uranus being the ruler of Aquarius. So to put Saturn there, it was kind of a, huh? Um, but as I got further into their model of looking at a chart, I realized that, okay, so the moon and Saturn, that makes sense in terms of having the responsibility of nourishing and bringing a life form into um, its adult version. Okay, you need Saturn responsibility and you need the moon to nourish it. But then what happens with the sun and Saturn? So then I realized from, from my way of looking at this Hellenistic rulership scheme is that Saturn is drawing the line that separates um, the father from the son. Okay, mm -hmm. in the sense that the son must establish itself as separate from the father. And that was sort of my first inkling as to why the ancients put Saturn as well opposite the sun. Okay, so that's are rulerships that go with the signs. So in the next lesson that we do, which won't be next week, it'll be the week after, we'll start playing with this. But Jill, your turn for the modern rulerships. Yeah, well, you know, as we discovered new planet, which is just outside of Saturn's orbit. Yeah. Um, you know, they, They've, they discovered Uranus because they had a telescope and, you know, this is technology, right? So Yeah, exactly. It is associated with technology and, and um, you know, a more modern view of Aquarius sees it, you know, yeah. in that light to some degree. But it also, I think, is, is about, um, you know, humanity and, and um, sort of the beyond saturn beyond you know the personal so much and more into yes, yeah collective yep. and how we all we all belong together we all have to work together to make things happen that's uh you know that's you that's what humanity is meant to be and yes. and so to me uh, you know i i see that you're honest it makes sense to assign it to aquarius with yes the, it does yeah with with the, the way we view those the sign and the and the planet. Um, yeah, there's an impersonality, you know, there's Aquarius is often 
seen as quite an aloof sign. It's not. Yes. Yeah. You know, it, and it, you know, they're, they're, I think the old line is that, you know, Aquarians uh, love humanity, but they're not too keen on individual people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. I think we're rising, so I like the one-on-one. But you know, I think, <laughs> I think you know, that, that you know that there's there can be an element of truth, and there can be too much detachment. You know, yes, yeah, yeah. It's an air sign, so it's a there's a detachment in the air signs because they are about the intellect. So yeah, and, yeah. and Uranus certainly fits with more the intellect and the airiness of yeah of uh, Aquarius than Saturn does because Saturn's a very earthy planet. So very solid and yeah, yeah. Uh, physical um, material uh, planet. So first, yeah, so Uranus was the, the first, the first of, one on the block of yep. modern discoveries. And then beyond that, they discovered Neptune. Um, and Neptune to me is a, I, I think its assignment to Pisces is it works well as far as I can see because Pisces, uh-huh. Pisces, uh, it, it, it kind of there's a nebulousness with Pisces. They are yeah. the two fish going in different directions, and there can be a lot of confusion or a lot of there can be a lot of creativity, but yes, not, yes. it's not a particularly grounded design, it's not grounded in a physical kind of reality. And Neptune represents the non-physical, the you know yes. that which is ethereal, that which is beyond words. And I, you know, I think if you if you know somebody with you know who has Sun or Mercury in Pisces, they often have a hard time articulating because, or they, if they do articulate, it's just the rest of us go, huh? Yeah, it's it's you know there's a. It's a, there's a, yeah, there can be a, a difficulty communicating in terms of yeah. clarity yes. because Neptune, Neptune is kind of, there's a fogginess. It's the ocean, right? He's the ruler of the ocean yes. and there's, there's, there's no beginning or end to the ocean. It, it is just this wide expanse. It's all and everything all at once. And we are, you know, and that is a reality. It's a spiritual reality. Yes, and, yeah. and at, at their best, Pisces, you know, need their grounding in a spiritual sense, not necessarily religious, but spiritual, yeah. and a, a sense of connectedness to yes. the all the everything. Yeah. And so that that's difficult to articulate because most of yeah. us are living in a very material world. So you know, to me, I think that rulership works very well, and mm-hmm. you know, I you know. I can yeah. see how you can, and you can use both. I mean, you can. Yes, see, exactly, exactly. Yeah. In, in, in astrology, you do not have to say, well, I'm just going to throw this one out and keep this one because sometimes things work together. You know, there are yeah. there are some Aquarians who, who are quite Saturnian. They have they have very materialistic or serious, you know, yeah. kind of side to them. So, you know, and. And the same with um, with Pisces, you might get people who are more Jupiterian, who are just more expansive and gregarious. And yes. although, yep. although I think a lot of Pisceans are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of all of the new modern rulerships, the Neptune, Jupiter, Piscean. Yeah. That yeah. for yeah. me, that 
it is difficult to separate those two. Yeah, it, yeah. So for me, Neptune fits well, and then of course we got all the way up to Pluto, which you know the astronomers have tried to demote. <laughs> Obviously, they haven't had a Pluto transit, or they would. Yeah. Be doing that. Yeah, they wouldn't be putting them off as chump change. Yes, yeah, no. Small, don't discount what's small, man. Small, powerful. <laughs> yes. You know, power. Power is very quiet. It's very often very yes. hidden. So yep. something, something that's small hides really well. You can, you know. Yeah. And and um and again, I think Pluto does fit well with Scorpio with what we yep. you know, talk about as Scorpio, the qualities of Scorpio. There is a depth and an intensity that's yeah, it's, you know, yeah, they can be fiery like Mars, but the fire tends to be more, it's a water sign, right? Yes, so, it is. Yeah, you know, water and, and, and fire, you know, you're going to get a lot of steam. Yeah. <laughs> so Pluto, you know, it is, and there's a, there's a mysterious quality to Pluto, I think, as mm -hmm. well as Scorpio, you know, there's, yeah. it's a deep sign and Pluto is and intense. To me, and the Pluto piece adds the intensity. Absolutely. And, and yeah. you know, they can be very passionate at, in that intensity. They can be, mm -hmm. you know, they can be um, murderous in rage, you know. <laughs> um, you know, Mars might get angry, you know, Scorpios don't get mad, they get even. I mean, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, I have Mars and Scorpio, I can say. Yes, you do. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, I mean, that's one of the things that I've heard said about Scorpio. Yeah. And yes. so, you know, it's like, yeah, they're not, they're not as obvious as, you know, mm -hmm. Aries. Aries is like. In your face. Yeah. In your, in your face. face. You know, Immediate I'm, direct. I'm, yeah. I'm pissed and you're going to know it now. Put yes. your and you know yeah. and pluto scorpio more likely to kind of bide their time <laughs> strike, strike i mean the scorpio scorpion has that stinger you know and yeah. that, that yeah. is a very plutonian kind of you know yeah but it's also a very fragile creature so yes that's true they, yeah they, needs they, to cannot, they cannot afford to be out yeah. in the open they yep. must stay hidden because they're very fragile. They can be yep. easily, and that's something else with Pluto. I mean, that and Scorpio. I think because of that intensity, that the feelings in it as a water sign are so uh -huh. deep and so profound. But often they don't want to show you. you yeah. You're not, yeah. You're well, how. and and what's interesting too is that with um, with that Scorpio emotional circuit, it's. We, we live in a society, some societies are probably more um, conducive to Scorpio, like for instance, Italians, right? I mean, they're very demonstrative. Um, whereas the English, it's like, you know, we can only be happy and sad. We can't do anything else, you know, so. Well, yeah, I think that, the, yeah. and it's kind of like the more Northern, the colder climates tend to be more, cool in temperament right and, yes yeah and I think, yes i think there's much more saturnian uh you know one must be controlled and yes yes yeah and all of those you know those yeah. saturnian stuff and uh whereas yes i think the the more you know mediterranean or 
tropical areas where there's more warmth. So you're going to get more, more looseness, you know, people move yeah. more loosely. They, their emotions yeah. are looser. They're not constrained the same way as, yeah. Yeah. as the more civilized parts <laughs> tend to be. Yes. So, yeah, so I, yeah, I think then the modern planets do work well with it. I think they, they mm -hmm. fit well. And, and, you know, a lot of astrologers talk about, you know, there must be other planets to replace, you know. Yes, the, yeah, there was a movement, especially in the, apparently the 60s and the 70s, 1960s and 1970s, in which once, you know, these guys were, people were putting them into charts, astrologers, that there was this thought that eventually, you know, every sign would have a specific something yeah. uh, to denote it. Yeah. And, and that may or may not happen. And, and I yeah. think, you know, the, the assignment of Venus and Mercury to two different signs, you're talking about very different qualities of those planets. Yes. Those planets, yeah. you know, very yeah. different expressions. And, you know, in, in mythology, Venus did have the, you know, the sort of the scale, the aesthetic. Yeah, the aesthetic. Libra balance and harmony and yep. all of that but there was also a very earthy side to Venus yeah, she was the sensual earthy sensual goddess yeah. so you do yeah. have that airy component as well as the earthy yeah. and Mercury I mean Mercury was a hermaphrodite kind of character he exactly was, exactly neither yin nor yeah. yang he was very neutral he was yeah you know and um and so I think, you know, yes, it, you've got the dual personality of the Gemini twins, which is yeah. very yeah. mercurial. Mercury is up and down and mercury in a thermometer. It goes up and down with temperature, right? So <laughs> it responds to the environment, right? Yeah. And, um, and its rulership with, with uh, Virgo, um, maybe a little less so for me, but, you know, it's, a, it's an earthier... Because to me, Mercury is, I mean, he's the winged god. So yeah. he's a pretty airy character. So, uh, you know, I can see if there's going to be a, uh, another planetary assignment. Might oh, be, I see. Okay. You would see that. Uh, yeah. Virgo might. might. Virgo. Um, yeah. You know, people talked about, you know, series or. Uh, uh, yes, that's you, true. I'd forgotten that. That's right. Yeah. That, back well, in the day. The asteroids. <clears throat> what large mm -hmm. asteroids. Uh, more prominent ones um, yep. because it is about crops and you know all of yep. the stuff that we do associated do associate with Virgo's yep. Virgin. And the, so yes. you know I could see that perhaps, but you know again with with this the Mercury has many facets to him and and yep. and you know de depending on the mythology too you've got. Thoth, uh, and you've got you know different iterations of the same god. Yes, of the same god, exactly. Yeah. Different characters, so you know, I yeah. think it's. But everything evolves and changes and grows, and mm -hmm. so yeah. Okay, so I think we're you know we've come up to just about an hour. Um, we're going to sign off on this particular lesson. And next week's show will be all about the month of March and, and the sign of Pisces. We'll bring you um, 
probably an example chart of a Piscean that is just through and through Pisces. <laughs> <laughs> and we might particularly focus on someone who has had the experience of Neptune on that Piscean sun um, or ascendant or moon, um, just because its ruler, its modern ruler is cruising through its home turf. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, and so for lesson four, we will start looking at those two sample charts and adding in these planets and how they will impact in those houses. Yeah, and I think that also to me, it, it's, it starts to tie the chart together. Yes. Because yeah. you are looking at how those planets relate to one another and, and how the rulerships kind of you know, yeah. you'll have you'll have empty signs. You'll have signs where there's no planets, but that doesn't mean there's nothing happening. And there's exactly, no, there's exactly. Which I think that's I one think. of the shocking things that newbies to astrology go, oh no, oh no, this is all empty. Does that mean I'll never have any money? You know, I, it's just classic that yeah. because yeah. every sign has a ruler, and that ruler is going to be somewhere, and it's going to be active doing with you know other planets. Yep. It's going to exactly. Tell a story. There's a story. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Well, Great. thank you for accommodating a part, you know, like rerun. <laughs> and we hope to be back working properly next week. That would be good. That would be good. Okay. Take care, Jill. And you, the audience, we will see you next week. Bye. All right. Okay. So I will be putting this up. Um, and uh yeah <laughs> hopefully it will all go well yeah. um i'll probably give you a shout midweek yeah yeah just to see where we're both at and, okay yeah i'll yeah. see if you've got any good pisces charts yes yes I mean, do, if do. If they're piscean enough they're not going to be very out there in the world <laughs> no that's true that's true but yeah okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> Right. Take care. Bye. <laughs>